Before we begin tonight's episode of Happy Times and Places, we would like to say that in our opinion it is not suitable for children or for those of you who may have a nervous disposition. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask my guest to choose an episode of Doctor Who and their favourite things about it. I have to commentate whilst watching the episode and see if I can guess what those favourite things are. Hello, Toby. Thanks so much for having me on this episode of Happy Times and Places. It's a great honour. I was listening to you just last week on the Blu-ray edition of 1984 you were in the extras interviewing one of the biographers of Nigel Neal and it was very good so I recommend that to your listeners. I should introduce myself my name is Gemma Arrowsmith I am a comedy writer performer I'm probably best known for writing on Tracy Ullman's show and Tracy Breaks the News and Spitting Image and Horrible Histories and things like that but I've also written for Big Finish you can hear some of my stories for the Seventh Doctor and the Missy series and also the Paternoster Gang. Uh, so if you search my name on Big Finish, I'm, I'm sure they will come up. I am choosing The Idiot's Lantern as my episode. It is from season two of, of New Who, season two, episode seven, and it went out in May 2006. I watched it go out live and I've chosen it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I am a huge fan of the history of broadcasting. It's something I'm I'm sort of completely nuts about. So the history of radio and the history of television, and this contains a, a bucket load of that. So I'm probably going to go off on quite a few tangents um, about that as I talk about this episode. So apologies in advance for that. And also we're in quite an interesting point in history. We are in the run-up to a monarch's coronation at the moment. King Charles, it still sounds strange saying that, doesn't it? King Charles III will likely be crowned next year. Uh, so I'm I'm speaking in 2022, so he will probably be crowned next year, 2023. And this harkens back to Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953. So it's a quite interesting sort of bookending point to be talking about this episode. Interestingly, and before we get into my choices for the episode... I imagine a lot of people next year will be saying that this is the second coronation that the BBC has broadcast. But no, it isn't. It will be the third because the BBC also broadcast the Queen's father, King George, his coronation in 1937. And it was actually the BBC's, I think, one of the first, if not the first outside broadcasts that they did. The BBC was had only been broadcasting television for about six months for that coronation in um, 1937. And uh, it was this huge pioneering feat to get uh, an outside broadcast. So King George, Queen Elizabeth, and now King Charles, the BBC will have broadcast three coronations, which I think is uh, interesting. I think it's interesting. I am aware a lot of people don't agree with me. Okay, so let me get into my choices. I have to say my choices are not going to be as organised as someone like Tom Neenan. He gave you clues at the beginning, like I'm going to choose one cast member, one moment, one aspect of production. I just watched the episode again and have written down a bunch of things that I noticed and liked. They, they are much more sprawling and, and less organised, so immediate apologies for that. 
Well, welcome. It's an idiot here. Back to watch his lantern. <laughs> I'm so grateful to Gemma Arrowsmith, special guest, joining me for this edition of Happy Times and Places, uh, which is uh, being sort of thrust, thrust into the schedule because I want to tie in with Gemma's excellent Radio 4 show, Gemma Arrowsmith's Sketched Out, uh, which has uh, a, a great conceit. I've been a fan of her work for ages. Um, she's an excellent writer. She is one of us, as revealed, and in fact, more so um, than I'd imagined. I didn't realise that she uh, had such an interest in the history and development of television. That's exciting. Uh, that means this episode is particularly appropriate, I think. But, you know, she did an Edinburgh show called Gemma Arrowsmith, Defender of the Earth. So, you know, the writing was on the wall, or at least a poster in the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, and she's written all sorts of stuff. And she's brilliant on uh, talking about Ghostlight on Rival Podcast. It's not. I love it. Um, a wheezing, groaning sound when I realised she might be up for talking about Doctor Who. But I would never have had the courage to approach her because we've never met and I'm shy. Um, so thanks to John Deere, who recently interviewed Gemma on his Bergcast, which is Quatermass slash all things Nigel Neal, which is very appropriate to tonight's viewing as well, uh, podcast. And Gemma <laughs> shows what a, <laughs> a sense of humour she has is that she committed to discussing... Uh, Nigel Neal's, I would say, somewhat flawed work, Kinvig. Um, so thanks to John then for saying to Gemma, oh, I know Toby would like to get you on Happy Times and Places. And Gemma uh, has come on and, gosh, has watched the extras on the 1984 um, <laughs> BFI Blu-ray, which I think shows a level of commitment to the cause of, uh, uh, of, of being a television you know, his, his historian. Uh, that uh, I, I wouldn't have known about had it not been for this podcast. So hurrah! I'm delighted that Gemma is on. Um, she would have been a welcome guest just because she's really funny um, and very creative and, you know, doing a show right at the moment, which is why this is being thrust as a bonus into the schedule, because uh, the least I can do is, uh, is uh, if any of you are not aware of her work, uh, is, is to guide you towards uh, Sketched Out, which I'm sure she'll talk about at the end of uh, this podcast because I've asked her to plug things. Um, she mentioned Tom Neenan there. I think I gave her a bit of a bum steer because she knows Tom, who's on the wheezing groaning sound. And I said, if you want to get an idea of what Happy Times and Places is like, have a listen to Tom's because I just remembered that was one that I particularly enjoyed doing. But yes, I'd forgotten Tom had been quite prescriptive in his his choices of things. So that was a bit of a bum steer. Apologies, Gemma. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I think we'll be fine. This is, uh, this is a... Uh, uh, an interesting episode that has a lot of connections with, you know, the, the, well, with what's going on today. That was interesting stuff, wasn't it, about the coronation as well? I wouldn't have known that. So I've been educated already. This is already a Rethian exercise uh, in in uh, in teaching me about uh, the number of coronations broadcast by the BBC. But this is, of course, uh, set around. The last one with the Queen who who has just left us. So it's it's all sorts of appropriate that I ask you, therefore, I hope you've got your televisions set up and your uh, DVDs or your, you know, what is where it is, iPlayers or uh, whatever set up. I'm on iPlayer. I'm going to press select slash play in three, two, one.
Um, already we're at a, a, a slightly askew angle. I like the shooting of this. The director is Eros Lin. Uh, we have the excellent uh, Ron Cook here, who I seen was in it, and there was there was not a guarantee at this point where a good doctor, a good actor, might be in Doctor Who, and actually might not might not make it beyond the opening credits so when he started to get his face sucked off i thought i really hope that's not all we see of ron cook but actually i you know that i i, I that that would have been unlikely he's a he's a fine uh, character actor a very respected actor um british theater and television i think the first thing i saw him in was the singing detective where he's one of the two mysterious men uh but he's been in all sorts of things and he in this he has a a, a wonderful sort of um sort of hang you know drained melancholy about him ah and here we have margaret john now this is uh, uh, quite a nice tie because this is a, a story about you know the birth of television but this is a story i experienced as a viewer during you know the birth of uh, experiencing television and my favourite television programme through the internet and I remember there was a set report on the forums on Gallifrey Base it wasn't an article, it was somebody had posted in, in the forum and had, and that's, this is how I learnt that Margaret John there, the old lady here, was going to be returning to Doctor Who because they, 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 they I think they described the scene of her upstairs tapping and, and, and I think the Doctor outside the bedroom for that scene that's later but you know they, they said it was Margaret John and I think that set report because it was somebody I think who'd, who'd either won won a, won a visit to the set or, or was taken by a friend. I, I think it was it was rather quickly taken down, and I think the production team were a bit. Come on, we let you come and watch filming. Don't then go and say everything you've seen on the internet. And I can kind of understand that, but that's how I learned that Margaret John, I think, was was back in Doctor. Who. I, I'm pretty sure that was yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter because she had been in. Fury from the Deep, which is um, for for patrons. I'm currently in the middle of uh, doing a Happy Times and Places for that I've broken off for. So Margaret John's two uh, Doctor Who appearances, several decades apart, uh, are, are, are both my contrasting viewing pleasures at the moment. Uh, poor old uh, Mr. Magpie has uh, had his face sucked off by the wire there uh the the glorious maureen Lippman, and what a great idea for a doctor who a monster if you like to have um you know to invoke something so very british uh, played by an icon uh, maureen Lippman, um who probably only was probably only there for about a day uh uh uh, you know doing doing proper rp and and being very evocative of 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 you know that the the, the that that dawn of television and the way that we we did things which we which there's there's uh plenty of links here um although i think yes, they've they've arrived at slightly the wrong time haven't they but it doesn't matter they still look david tennant really can pull off a, a is it a quiff a teddy boy haircut um and they're at the height of their having fun which we might talk about i know there are there are some people who uh who, who, who feel slightly excluded by this uh, this pair, but I think they're great fun. Uh, and I think you need, you know, you need people who get on, and these two clearly get on and have great chemistry, uh, to you know, to take you on a tour through the m m most baleful parts of time and space. But this is, a, the, I might get quite personal on this as well, because this is the setting of this is uh, you know in the shadow of alexandra palace uh, which is where the quatermass experiment 
was broadcast from from July the 18th, 1953, shortly after the coronation, uh, which is the central event of this story. And that's very important to Mark Gatiss because Mark Gatiss is a big fan of Quatermass and there's lots of Quatermass uh, sort of imagery and and indeed atmosphere channeled in order to tell this uh, Doctor Who story and I think it you know it's quite happy to to, to pay its debt to Quatermass and Doctor Who does owe Quatermass an awful lot and uh, it's great great choices of things show as well uh, oh and Muffin the Mule of course was presented by Annette Mills who uh, was the sister of John Mills who later played Quatermass I think that's just an unconscious uh, connection but if I can make one I will I remember being very excited that Jamie Foreman was going to be in Doctor Who because I sort of expect sort of British theatre actors and classical actors um, and I think British classical actors are very good at doing Doctor Who especially villainy um, uh, and I like it when, you know, c- comedy actors are called upon to do something slightly different in Doctor Who. I know William Gaunt isn't a comedy actor as such, but, for example, an actor well-known at that time for doing sitcoms can then play a sort of leather-clad, honourable assassin. Um, but but to see somebody from a, a, a genre that had got a lot of traction, you know, between Doctor Who's cancellation and return, the sort of, you know, genuine Cockney gangster flick where a lot of those actors, it has the same sort of bevy of, uh, you know, East End thesps, if you like, who, who bring a sort of gritty authenticity to that work. It seemed to me that Jamie Foreman was coming from a different world um, to, to lend a bit of credibility to my show that is, you know, fantastical and some some people think a little sort of camp. So I, I quite like that, you, you, that, that, you know, that, that grit was coming uh, to Doctor Who playground to, to toughen it up a little bit it's not the performance I expected if I'm I'm honest and I think it's uh well we will discuss this it is the sort of subplot of the the buddy, bullying Eddie Connolly but it's a it's a it's a thematic it's a thematically um appropriate subplot oh there's Sam Cox we'll talk about him later um uh because course this has the 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 theme of you know the domineering bullying father which is which you know the master of his own home although the Aryan is it turns out not to be his own home that you know was a very prevalent attitude um in 1952 nostalgia is a curious thing isn't it because for all the funky haircuts and cool bikes and you know beautiful period cars and 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 the sort of deliberate aping of you know the, the 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 quite fun sort of film cliches is the wrong word but the, the the sort of film dressing of the you know the detective with the hat and the turned up collar and this uh in you know the 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 sort of secret secret you know the market that hides the the secret base and all that that's that's all sort of fun um but but behind all of that you know nostalgia they would you know we look at those times of being quite cozy don't we in in the way that we sort of view you know our, our thoughts of the sort of you know, we we call talk of them as simpler times, don't we? But actually, they weren't. They were tough uh, for, for for most people, and you know, a lack of comforts that we absolutely take for granted and expect. Um, even you know, even the size and complexity of meals, let alone you know, technology and uh, you know, a- a- access to, as I say, sort of creature comforts. But also, you know, the the morality of the time was was one of. Um, 
you know, not people didn't people were encouraged not to complain, and and you know what went on between families went on behind closed doors. So you know, behind you know the nineteen fifties rock and roll and all of that, there's uh, you know there's 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 poverty, there's hardship, there's a, a generation of uh, men totally screwed up by experiences that they saw during World War Two that they're encouraged not to talk about or discouraged from talking about and and that manifested itself in all sorts of terrible ways behind closed doors so i i think it, i think in invoking that as its as its sort of subplot it's doing very interesting things I, I i don't think the subplot is the most successful successfully rendered part of it but uh i don't uh, i i certainly don't blame it for for trying uh and again we've just got these slightly skewiff camera angles the corridors are slightly tilted the the the, the camera work is slightly they sort of german germanic angles I don't, I don't know um but and the shadows as well the picture composition uh look he's not this isn't as this isn't a straight line this is like uh, you know the house has been slightly tipped on its axis just to make it a slight doctor who's brilliant isn't it when it makes the everyday a slightly askew slightly perverted slightly giddy and disorienting version of of what we know uh and you know these are all quite muted colors which give us some lovely shadow uh, uh as well he's horrible isn't he eddie uh uh and you know tom tommy is the 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 hope for the for the future um and obviously we've you know we've got a uh, you know we've got a we've because Mark I don't know if you saw the 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 monologues that Mark Gatiss wrote about the gay experience and they were so good and brilliantly acted but you know because at this time lest we forget there was talk of Doctor Who having a gay agenda um, and you know you know oh, he's horrible I am talking and she's brilliant Deborah Gillett she's a I think she's a favourite actress of of Mark Gatiss I saw them together in um, Four Days in the Country at the National uh, I think they've worked together a few times and she's brilliant she's the wife of Patrick Marber the the writer comedian actor um, collaborated with Steve Coogan in the early days um, uh, but you know I I I I reject the notion of a of a gay agenda I think representation is key and you could substitute that now there's a conversation being had as I talked this week where the um, execrable uh, Alison Pearson telegraph columnist is 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 using wokeness uh, in inverted commas as an excuse to bash the BBC because Ellie Simmons uh, multi uh, uh, medal winning uh, Paralympian uh, is on Strictly and Alison Pearson, bless her, fears for the future of dance because her partner might have to bend over during the waltz and uh, has written a whole article about how this perhaps could be a series of wokeness too far without quite managing to articulate what it is she objects to about a multi-Paralympian being represented on the television dancing. But um, uh, uh, Sorry, being represented, I mean being shoved down Alison Pearson's throat. It's a good job there's no wheelchair users on because those wheelchairs would enough get stuck in her throat. Um, but you know, it's it's always put in these sort of mealy mouth, this mealy mouth way, whilst um, you know, uh, it, you know, helping to feed that that idea of otherness that uh, means that people like Ellie Simmons then get you know abuse on social media and people people talking about her. I know this from having disabled part myself. Well, whilst they're in hearing distance um, and dehumanising them and. Uh, 
And so I, I don't call it an agenda. I call it a, a resetting of the balance. Um, you know, and you've got a, a, a gay show and a gay writer um, put, you know, putting this in as a, a theme of part of the, st the story that, that young, young Tommy, uh, you know, is, is representing, is representing the future that hopefully we, uh, well, we do, we do live in the future, but, but, but that it, a future that is one where the values that, as he says, Eddie, Eddie fought for, which were against um, discrimination. Um, I mean, I don't quite buy the you fought against fascism, therefore you can't you 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 would can be the English nineteen uh, fifties English version of right wing because they are they are rather different. Um, I, but I can see I, I can see why that parallel is drawn. Um, I, th I think the word fascism gets thrown around these days all all too easily and glibly by um, liberal people um, and, and I am I am one of them but I like to think I it's, but anyway um, but and, and, and I have to say and I and and David Tennant is wonderful at this sort of spiky fury um, uh, and but um, and they do the thing don't they where they um, where they they best him with the, the the union jack union flag thing but that i don't think that's aged particularly well that does seem like a bit of a, a sort of twitter gotcha where a sort of smug middle class person will 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 pick on the phraseology of somebody uh with a kind of uh, i think i know more than you gotcha uh, but again i can see why why it's in there um but um i think you have to be i think you have to be careful when you're when you're you know when you're when you're making uh your points not to not to just be too insufferable it's in, it's interesting that that i think i think rose and the doctor at this time there were fans that found them uh slightly slightly insufferable weren't they uh weren't they that, that, that but i th i just think they i think they're having such a a, a good time they dilute you know that the, the obvious tension of stuff like this where i mean you know the faceless old lady that is a brilliant idea again it's a perversion of what we know and the fact that it's an old an old lady with no face and that tapping that scene that i was tripping myself up with trying to talk about issues it always happens to me it's always so clear in my head and then it tumbles out in a jumble of ill-formed thoughts and words but this is brilliant the whole you know the whole when they're downstairs and tap 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 is really really spooky and and they're doing it with nothing but an old woman in a bedroom you know and then you open up and she's a silhouette and then oh my god she's got no face and still you've got all those funny camera angles uh uh and and this idea that um people dob people in is an interesting one because that that goes back to the war that has not long been fought which is you know what happened in nazi germany where people would dob their neighbors in and uh, uh and you, you know and and now eddie finds him who you know fought in the war against that sort of thing finds himself in a similar position in his own you know in his own neighborhood um and i think that's that's quite a smart parallel to have been drawn um uh but you know anything anything sort of doctor and, and this is beautifully lit isn't it and beautifully sort of set decorated it's all very evocative of of an idea of the 50s that we have uh magpie electricals i think you can you can get you can get that logo on various red bubble <laughs> pieces of merchandise bands are made um so rose bests him here doesn't she and and it's quite fun uh um because what does she do? You're only an idiot. 
hangs the Union flag upside down. Um, uh, but she is funny. She's very, very funny. Um, uh, and all this, all this sort of subterfuge stuff is rather, is is rather jolly. You know, that's more. You know, that's that's aping, sort of. That's that's aping genre, isn't it? Rather than what we think of as the 1950s itself, but it, w- it works very nice. And it's uh, what is it? Is it Operation Market Stall? Um, <laughs> um, and and I love this night filming. It's really spooky and really nice. And of course, Mark Gatiss uh, is yes, he's a big fan of of Quatermass, which uh, is evoked lots here. And yes, I I as I say, this is a personal one for me because. Um, at around I, at this time, I was just sort of I pretty much left a, a, a relationship that was never great, um, and, and and in a bit of a limbo. And actually, the answer to that was that I I reconnected with somebody from my past and uh, ended up marrying the girl. And we and she had a flat and 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 out of our bed in London. That's where I lived, and out of our bedroom window you could see Alexandra Palace. And it seemed like my life had sort of ended up where it should um at the age of you know late 30s was like, oh it's all fallen into place of course it then all <laughs> fell to bits and you know one can be funny about one's own nostalgia and remember you know very fondly the 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 um you know the bits that the bits that that really worked um uh and so i'm very nostalgic about this because it represents yeah, it represents a, a time in my life that seemed sort of very hopeful and very right, and where all the pieces seemed to fall into place. Uh, then somebody knocked the jigsaw over. Um, but this, uh, and, and and you know, it's Quatermass coming coming sort of in and out of my life as it always has. And I'm I'm currently trying to put my finishing touches to my book on Quatermass. So this is very appropriate that here we have uh, the very uh, this now, but it's it's more from uh, the film of the Quatermass experiment than the TV version, where it's it's more Richard Wordsworth, Victor Caroon, than Duncan Lamont. Although Lamont does clench his fists a bit and he and he to, to, to sort of suck a cactus up, but this is very much from the from the movie. And the, of course, the face uh, is more like uh, the, the 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 blank face is uh, it's the shape, isn't it, from uh, the Sapphire and Steel photograph story where um, Bob Hornery and uh, Philip Bird both play this mysterious figure who's there's a brilliant shot where he turns his head on the stairs and his face vanishes but again it's a simple thing it's uh, it's it's people dressed in sort of slightly old-fashioned British clothes uh, you know that we that we sort of know um, but with a you know a truly sci-fi thing uh, a, a facelessness uh, that uh, makes them a sort of parody of the human form and makes them a parody of of the, the the sort of period that we sort of have in our mind's eye from various bits of literature and television uh and very very effective and yeah anything that echoes sapphire and steel is pretty cool um uh and you can see on uh, all these televisions in the background the uh the bbc logo which um uh Oh, and and here's Maureen Lipman, who I I met I've met have I met because she's in Corrie, but I've not, not done anything with her on Corrie. But I was at university with her daughter Amy, uh, and so I met her once at a thing. I was helping out at a thing, and I was I was handing out the wine to the parents who came, and so I had a quick hello with Maureen Lipman. But I didn't talk to her about Doctor Who because she hadn't been in it then. But she's a a, a bit of a national uh, sort of entertainment icon, somebody well known for for sort of 
comedic performances but like a great many people with a gift for comedy is a is a superb you know straight dramatic actress uh, and of course she she is aping that image isn't it of the of the sort of mary malcolm who is also in the crazy man i mean she's mary malcolm actually um is the, the last bit we have left of any recording of the Quatermass experiment because when episode two finishes then she pops up and they haven't stopped the telerecording and she goes and you can see the next episode of the Quatermass experiment next Saturday evening at a quarter to nine or a quarter whatever it is uh, and then it cuts out but in the later episodes which we don't have which are very meta because um uh uh, the last episode of the Quatermass Experiment takes place in Westminster Abbey, which most people with a television uh, probably got their television in order to watch Westminster Abbey on the coronation not that long ago uh, and now have Westminster Abbey on their telly again. And in the Quatermass Experiment, it's being filmed for a television programme. So they're seeing westminster abbey through the eyes of a television program that they're watching in the television program that they're watching uh, and those television cameras spot the alien menace that is in uh, westminster abbey it's a it's it's not faceless people it's a it's a, a vegetable creature that's an amalgam of three humanoids um but um but because because it is then broadcast to the nation uh, mary malcolm who has introduced that episode of the quatermass experiment then appears in that episode of the quatermass experiment because she is the bbc continuity announcer within the fiction within the fact blah, blah, blah. so very 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 clever so so her her presence as the bbc announcer in this the wire you know manifesting itself or, or you know its appearance as the the She's not just the continuity announcer, though, is she? Because she's a bit like she's got some of the the catchphrases, hasn't she, from other programs? Um, are you sitting comfortably? And all so that's so that's more the sort of kid kids telly type stuff, isn't it? Or you know, watch with mother. Now, I love, I really like this scene because they have that one, this wonderful reverse where uh, it starts, it starts with one power dynamic and, and ends with completely the opposite one. And I love Sam Cox. It's interesting. It's a performance that given by another actor may seem a bit sort of wooden and one note, but it's it's not because it's deliberate. He's a really interesting sort of uh, spiky, flinty character actor with a slightly odd energy he's got, Sam Cox. He's a really interesting stage actor. He's the sort of person you'd get to play like the soothsayer in Julius Caesar because you just know that he'd bring a slightly sort of shimmering electricity to it that was just slightly out of groove with everything else. Like he's slightly on a different sort of dimensionary, dimensionary plane. He, I saw him play um, uh, Giles Corey in, uh, in The Crucible here in Manchester with John Joe O'Neill and David Collings and people like that. And um, Giles Corey is, is in the plays, really. He's an 80-year-old man. But instead, they sort of said, well, if we get... Because it's quite hard to find good 80-year-old men to do long stage runs. And uh, and I think they went, well, let's 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 just give him a sort of slightly different energy to everybody else by casting Sam Cox, who's nothing like 80. But And it, it did kind of work. He's this sort of phlegmatic, sort of bitey, kind of shifty, but not, not shifty, but shifty shifty and a sort of it's, it's not that he's deliberately hiding something that he's not quite on the same wavelength as everybody else um and so i think he's a really interesting performer and i interviewed him uh when when he was when he was here and he and we met at the vegetarian restaurant and i went oh are you vegetarian he was like no i just thought i'd give it a try you know uh and he's yeah i, I just really like him he's he's quirky and he's interesting uh 
and and he's sort of aping the sort of essence of plod that you need to do to to inspect a bishop um which which works with this wonderful joke that he's got oh and it's florizel street which is of course the original name for coronation street coronation street was going to be called florizel street um so so mark gatis is throwing in all of these beautiful references and this is gorgeous i mean david Tennant is such a good actor isn't he he is such a good actor and you can see that sort of loss fear you know buried anger etched in his face and you know seeing your seeing your companion with her face wiped out is really really spooky um and the camera's in nice and you know nice and tight on the doctor there with with uh bishop out of focus behind him uh yeah, this is this is it's because because this is not I don't think this is a story that is anybody's favorite from this year, which is I mean, it goes to show what a strong year it is, I think. But I, I yeah, I certainly think um, it's 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 a sort of, you know, an, an anomaly a little bit in them in, 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 in the middle of the season. There's a lot of big hitters. This isn't a, a big hitter. And yet it's got so many things that. Uh, you know are absolutely right for doctor and look again that sort of sweeping camera but at a slight slight sort of tilt um and of course they're getting the they're, they're having fun with the period stuff i know there was a criticism like there's criticism of the in inverted commas gay agenda i know there's criticism a little bit later because there are some uh, uh, supporting artists of color in the street scenes uh interesting there's none there's none here and i think if you were to do the scene today you probably would and again there are people who go well if, you, if you're going to get the history right you know there the weren't as many black people in the uk in those days there weren't but you could still find a street in london where the, there were black people on it so in the one in doctor who they say well the street we're going to use is one of those indeed there's a black actor in uh Quatermass in the pit, and he's specified in the script to play. It's a, it's a descriptor you wouldn't use now, a coloured workman, but played by a, a, a black actor called Lionel Ngarkine, I think is how it's pronounced. He was a South African, went back to South Africa to be an important uh, anti-apartheid filmmaker. Um, uh, but this, this is, this is, this is very good. You know, the the little bits of re rebellion that uh, that 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 Tommy shows and the casual way the proper little mummy's boy you know those those horror this this is vile because the the, the Jean Chalice here she used to be in Dear John I'm glad she's still she's still kicking about great doing stuff but but you know she just very cheerfully says yeah you should you should beat 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 him because he's a bit of a sissy that and we all know what that sort of subtext is and that sort of casual um well it's not casual but that accepted kind of violence that it was an acceptable way to treat people because the because everybody should be a certain way um and it, and it means that we have made progress which is good but it's a, it's a good reminder to show that you know not not all of this this stuff was done by you know overbearing bullies like eddie who it's suggested here i think quite cleverly it it, uh, it you know has there is a there's a perverse logic to where he's coming from he's not just a baddie you know he's a he's a he's a proud man who's you know plagued with his own faults and doubts and he's overcompensating and and the way men overcompensate for things is to is 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 sometimes like like this and you know to have some sympathy for him you know he's he's probably seen things that you know i as a as a somebody from a very you know much more comfortable um situation 
born decades later we couldn't even imagine and i think you know we we have to be we have you know you know there were there were there were men who came back with all sorts of demons now that's not to that's not to justify through a modern lens you know unacceptable you know homophobia and cruelty and the fact that he probably you know the suggestion is he probably beats his wife as well um you know which is quite it's quite these are quite adult themes for doctor who uh and and i think tonally they they i'm not sure it quite coalesces as as well as it might but despite the best efforts of everybody but i i i don't blame it for trying um but as i say i think it's probably the least it, the, the, the 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 least successful part of the story um for, for no reason i can really put my finger on um i um because everybody's doing their their best with it um and and it and it still nonetheless says some very important things i i, I think it's particularly impressive the way that the nice auntie character or whatever she is um jean chalice's character just sort of says yeah you'll have to beat that out of him um which was you know an, an acceptable thing to say in those days and it's what people thought was right you know um but yes this idea that i've i mean i saw it on a forum i've seen it in some commentaries you know written down commentaries people say uh, i'm sure somebody said oh god that street party it was like kingston in jamaica it's like what because i think there's i think it's two black people in the in the party at the end um and representation is important and if you're if you're showing the past through a modern lens i don't i don't see anything you know you know there, there, there are things that we will see that look like accurate renditions of the past that are actually compromises to to make them fit to a to, to a modern eye or through a modern lens and and uh, and also yes there would have been black people in London in 1953 um, so so I think you have to work really hard to sort of go well it's completely uh, completely ridiculous that those things should be in an episode of Doctor Who. Um, I love this running joke of Inspector Bishops of going, portable television, and doesn't he later on go, a colour television? And I remember uh, talking to Mark Gatiss about it and saying, I really liked Inspector Bishops' running joke about all all the things that, you know, are are things that we take for granted that to him are, are sort of technological wizardry uh, and and the running gag where this you know slightly unimaginative plod is is absolutely banjaxed by uh, these things that of course we know do later become invented and mark went yeah i think i think russell put those jokes in i was like oh damn <laughs> um uh, he's a good villain, Magpie, uh, because we we have sympathy for him. You know, he's on his uppers when we find him at the beginning, um, and and Ron Cook does have a sort of crumpled sort of dignity about him. Uh, I f- and I f- I feel a bit sorry for um, Inspector Bishop because it looks at this point like you know this is this is the sort of three investigators. This is going to be the the triumvirate who are going to bring the wire down. You know, the Doctor, the Boy, and the dogged detective. Um, it's a shame. I don't think we see any more of his um, psychic, Dewey, um, who's played by um, Yayan Rees, who, you know, the big guy who punches the Doctor out, who I'm sure they said in a, in one of the commentaries. Do you remember the days when Doctor episodes came with a commentary on the DVD and a red button commentary? Oh, they were really spoiling us. Um, uh, that he's, he's a Doctor Who fan and, crucially, a local Welsh actor which i think is very important they don't do it as much now but if, if you think about father's day where i think all of the congregation there are are uh, wales welsh actors local actors uh, doing cockney um 
that if you know if a, if a production is filmed in a place it should employ people from the place um on on screen and off screen and i know loads of uh, off screen talent on doctor who is you know cardiff born bred and or based uh, and i think that's very important that not you know when when productions uh, you know are are based in a region that it, it reflects that region and employs from that region um so it's i always like it when i see a sort of local welsh actor pop up and get a bit to do um maureen Lippman is great isn't she she's such an impressive uh of course she was famous for for, for an advert in 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 uh in the 80s when i was uh when when she was i think we knew who she was already then but those those bt adverts were uh, you know such a successful campaign but i think she just spent a day didn't she i think she did did she actually i think she actually did it at alexandra palace um which again is 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 so appropriate um and and you know i think there's something it's a it's a smart move with for doctor who isn't it to to so okay we're going to set something in a in a particular period and, and 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 around a particular event so the queen's coronation is an event that everybody who was there remembered it was a very important I mean, landmark for the for the country in terms of its identity, you know, especially as I think we notice now with the with the Queen, who's just recently passed away. You know, she was a constant in the the lives of you know everybody under the age of you know what eighty, um, and certainly you know the only monarch for my entire life, um, and I'm knocking on you know I'm nearly fifty, um, uh, and and that coronation was an important event and. As Gemma has said, not the not the first televised coronation, but 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 one that certainly, or not the first coronation on the BBC, but certainly you know one that meant a lot of people got their first televisions, uh, and, and on those televisions were subsequently watched. Quite a I'm I'm sad Inspector Bishop's uh, cashed in his chips temporarily, um, but uh, that, I love that crunch of the scrunching hands. And yeah, just the face. It's just such a simple thing. I'm sure it's actually quite a hard effect to do. But person with scrunchy hands and no face. And it's like, that's really scary. And again, we've got this lovely tilted camera angles. Uh, and and I think it's a very smart idea, yeah, to go, okay, we've got this historical event. And we've got the, you know, the birth, the burgeoning of this new technology that is something that we now take for granted. Uh, oh, is that a, is that a sort of composite? I wonder if you could. I wonder if you could see my bedroom window from there. Oh, um, and uh, and and um, sorry, I was just remember. I love living in Crouch End. Um, uh, it was. You see, that's the thing about nostalgia. Uh, it, uh, it it makes you feel. I think it may nostalgia is interesting, and I'm not talking about personal nostalgia here either. The fifties is quite nostalgic, and I think. You know, nostalgia makes us feel safe because we know with the past we kind of escaped from it. So all its trappings seem quite comfortable and quite cosy um, and, and slightly less scary than today and certainly less scary than the than the future. But of course, when you're there, you know, it's a bit more visceral and, uh, uh, you know, you can feel the cold metal and smell the musty air and all of that sort of thing. Um, I mean, you know, they, those people still had outside toilets, guys. So, for you know, for all the... All, all, all that you know all that everybody's wearing a collar and tie uh you know uh, well anyway let's not let's not get into the uh y you know the fact they didn't have hot water on tap like we do and all that sort of thing um 
what was I talking about? Yes, so a Doctor Who story that takes an historical event or, or, or a new, you know, the birth of a new piece of technology. I'm thinking Horror of Fang Rock, which so brilliantly says, okay, electricity is new. How can we make, you know, how can we capitalise upon this new thing and make it the source of the terror or an, an, an important element in the, the, the propagation or the, 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 the manifestation of the attack of the, the, the monster of the week? Um, and, and, you know, so we've got television and the coronation. Oh, and the late Christopher Driscoll, he's um, he's sadly since died. He was a sort of useful, he did a lot of children's telly, I think, latterly. Oh, and he's a Quatermass link because he's in the John Mills. He plays, plays one of the, the ex-public schoolboy punk gang types who uh, mug John Mills in the first scene, really, in the first episode of uh, of the final Quatermass in 1979. So that's another, probably, I suspect, completely unconscious uh, Quatermass uh, connection. Oh, this is getting better and better. Anything that is connected with Quatermass is, uh, is fine by me. Um, uh, and uh, oh, yes, and uh, the Doctor is... Your Majesty, yes, because the Doctor has shown him the thing. And I, I actually had this on Twitter. Only this week, somebody had said, is Time Crash the only time uh, Belgium is mentioned in Doctor Who? And no, because Belgium is mentioned here, because the Doctor's... Uh, the psychic paper says that he's King of Belgium. And then it's mentioned again in Unicorn and the Wasp. Uh, and then Missy mentions it in Death in Heaven. So Belgium gets four mentions in Doctor Who, all in the new... Uh, manifestation of Doctor Who, whereas Brussels is mentioned twice in Classic Who, uh, in uh, the Time Monster, and oh, one other. But uh, uh, but anyway, that was that, that that's I only I only really know that because it was asked on on Twitter this week, and I came up with the answer. Yay! So so they very cleverly sort of molded the Welsh melded the Welsh street uh, into the horizon with with Ali Pally on it, and I literally lived at the bottom. Of, of the hill, uh, Nightingale Lane, uh, on the same street as Midge from Survival uh, and a couple of actresses who I think, st I don't know if Christine's still got a place there, um, and I, I was next door to put one from the comedian Tim Minchin, but pretty much as soon as I moved in, I think he, he went, uh, there's two comedians on this street and I'm clearly doing much better than one of them, so I can't be seen to live on the same street as him and promptly moved. <laughs> uh, uh, Oh, and and this is very well done. I remember, I remember the Doctor Who Confidential sort of. This was basically erected, wasn't it, on a on a green screen mat in a field. Um, but it's great because the you know the the wind is going, uh, and it you know it looks it looks oh there's and there's a sort of composite. Oh, that's showing its age a little bit. I mean, it's it's on screen for barely a second, and uh, I've got it on a whacking great. I've got it projected onto the wall. Oh, and poor old. I do like Mister Magpie. I I I I, I think. There was, there was something, uh, you, you know, he was duped. Uh, he was weak-willed, and Doctor Who's history is, uh, is uh, you know, full of full of villains in inverted commas who are who are actually, you know, d decent sorts who, who've who've been who've been manipulated by stronger, less conscience-stricken creatures. And so, so it's probably only going to end one way for Magpie. But uh, you know, he 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 wasn't Boo Hiss. He had a he he had a he had a sort of certain sensitivity and vulnerability about him that uh, um, you know uh, uh, an actor of the skill of of Ron Cook uh, can uh, can channel very very easily uh, and young Tommy gets to be the hero. I haven't really talked much about he did, he went on to be in EastEnders, didn't he? I think is he called 
Is he called Rory Jennings? Um, uh, and so that's the end of... Yeah, that's the end of uh, The Wire. And everyone's got their faces back. Um, aw. Um, but yes, so... So well done, Mark Gatiss, for, you know, I think he's very good, isn't he, Mark Gatiss? He's, you know, he's not, he's, 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 he's very good at sort of siphoning, well, of, of, of sort of picking and choosing the, the, the sort of little shortcuts that just say you are comfortably within the era that that we're trying to invoke he's very good at this sort of idiomatic language you know he's uh you know he's got he's got a taste for for history and he can and he can bring it to the fore um but this is also you know this is not just history this is homage to a certain style of 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 television and uh and i, and I think that i think that works very nicely and there's the queen well, and and you know the the queen is i'm you know i'm no i'm no sort of flag waving monarchist but uh, i i found myself very moved actually by uh, and i can understand arguments against the monarchy i think it's a you know it's an obviously st sort of almost silly thing an accident of birth conferring uh you know you know status and great wealth um it seems madness if you look at it rationally but actually some of the things that get us through life and unify us you know national a national conversation is important even if we don't all agree on it and something that we all kind of know and and recognize even though yes why is it fair that some people have nothing and some people have way too much but but sometimes things that there's no logic to somehow work in a crazy and strange way and uh, and as i say i'm not really a, a monarchist particularly but i found myself more in sympathy with the people who just went, oh, I'm a bit moved by this than the people who thought it was time to make sort of glib jokes or, or you know, cheap points. And, and, and as I say, not unreasonable points about unfairness and accident of birth. But I, I just, I don't know, I, I, find, I find something that, that unifies us, I, uh, even, even if there's ridiculousness or unfairness at its core. I, I'm not sure that's necessarily what it's about. I haven't articulated that very well. I was just surprised. And, I, you know, I'm quite happy with myself for not being somebody who um, sort of, you know, sang songs and danced or made cruel jokes um, about somebody dying, even if it's... And I wouldn't want to do that job either. Um and yes, yeah, so that here we are. Here we are. We have the uh, we have the street party that, as I say, I read a couple of things. It said it was like Kingston, Jamaica. Well, I think I've seen two black people. So yeah, I mean, it's it's hardly Hamilton, is it? <laughs> uh, oh, and it's a great title, isn't it? The Idiot's Lantern. I love that title. It's obviously it's a metaphor for uh, for television uh, that was that was in common usage at the time, uh, and you know there's pr probably an argument to say it is uh, uh, you know what is it wallpaper for the eyes but the idiot's lantern well i'm i'm a i'm a moth to that flame the flame that lights that lantern and uh, if it hadn't been if it hadn't been for this this uh, this flickering illumination uh, i wouldn't have done some of the many dances that i've done so i don't care i'm maybe i'm an idiot i actually having said that this this part of the plot is is the least successful although i i appreciate the the action behind it and i and i'm not always sure jamie foreman gets it gets it right it's a hard part i actually think this bit is brilliant and very very moving 
uh, and I love the way he just slightly stands up straight to, to keep his military bearing at a time when he's been humiliated in front of the whole street, humiliated by his wife, which again for a man in 1953, my goodness, um, and, and he's got nothing bar that little suitcase. And that's, a, you know, how many of us would fit all our worldly belongings into one suitcase these days? Such is the comfort of the modern era compared to that era that we're looking at. But the fact that he, you know, and, and kicked out and, you know, having to start all over again and, and perhaps come face to face with some of the bad things that he's done. He, he you know, he stands up straight and does the military bearing thing, which I think is a lovely acting choice. Uh, and it says so lot with, with, with two actors with their backs to us, which I think which I think superb. Uh, as I say, and a, a, a lovely coda to an element that I, I don't think, you know, is the, is the strongest element of the story. Um, so there we go. Uh the Idiot's Lantern, which, as I say, is not anybody, everybody's uh, everybody's favourite story, but I uh, I think has much to recommend it. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not like some of the big hitters that season in terms of what it, I guess, what it achieves, um, uh, and or even what it what it aims for. But I think it it actually. I'm sorry, I f I failed to stop the. Uh, the, the credits running out on iPlayer or jumping. I tried to press the button that kept them going because I like watching the whole credits. I mean, I'm lovely to see them move slowly enough for me to read. I would appreciate if a public service broadcaster's um, uh, streaming service didn't make you know didn't make me have to leap to my feet to uh, to stop it jump cutting off the credits. Uh, but uh, I've probably said that before. Um, so let's let's. You know, let's leave that where it is. You know, probably where I stand on that. So, um, yeah, there's lots in that. That's 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 interesting, uh, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very effective, um, uh, and you know, it's a sign of that period of Doctor Who that there's. I don't think there are any sort of bad episodes. I think there are some that are slightly duller than others, and somewhere. Um, some that don't you know reach the great heights of of a lot of them but it's a consistently high quality television production uh that's ambitious to do more than just tell an adventure story and you know doctor who to succeed doctor who has to be a good fun zippy adventure story doctor who should never leave it lose its sense of humor but the sense of humor m must never you know dilute the drama too much but uh, you know it's a really fine balancing act and I think the balance that they get so whilst yes I do understand people that 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 perhaps aren't over the moon with the dynamic of the Doctor and Rose but I don't know I think it's so hard hard to do and I just think they're such good actors um, and you know Russell I think you know weaved it into the story that they actually have this terrible downfall at the end. Now, I'm not 100% convinced, um, un you know, unlike, you know, the, the, the Pertwee thing where that was, you know, that was clearly, you know, Barry Letts decided to cut him down to science in his final story in the way that only a Buddhist can um, uh, and, you know, punish him for his vanity and acquisitiveness. Um, one of, uh, I've just recently done Planet of Spiders and one of my patrons put, wasn't, you know, wasn't that Barry Letts telling John Pertwee off because he used to keep nicking things when they went on location and he did, didn't he? He tried to nick, nick stuff from the from the uh, ship in Carnival of Monsters and yeah, if it, was, if it wasn't nailed down and it was a bit antique 
keep it, we'd have it. Uh, so that's why the, the, the great spider um, <laughs> soaked him in radiation. Um, and, it, and, it, and, and, you know, is, is it that, you know, yeah, the Doctor and Rose are enjoying themselves just a little too much. They're just getting off on the danger just a little bit. And it, and it makes that, you know, very sad parting of the ways for them uh, at, at the end of this season you know that 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 does work with that and as i say i think she's so zippy and fun and uh you know she's such a great character and such a terrific actor and he david Tennant, is just brilliant i mean he's just he keeps the energy at all times he keeps the energy zipping 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 along uh and and, and make sure it never gets sort of held up or bogged down um so what am i one of my favourite uh, things. Oh, I wrote to Margaret John, by the way, because um, I was well into Fury from the Deep as a boy. Uh, but she, but she never wrote back. She, but I knew she was around because she was in a Radio Four series called Citizens. That was this exploring thing. I know. I think my mum hated it. I think a lot some Radio Four list, regular listeners hated it. It was quite a big, and I think it had been a program going on for a long time. And she was a Welsh character. It was, it was certainly some of it took place in Wales. I think it took place all over the all over the country but anyway she was in that so i knew that she was around uh, and she popped up in things and actually she and then after gavin and stacy which of course gave her a lot of late fame and i was glad to see the christmas specials recently were, were dedicated to her because you know in the in the interim she she passed away so when they resurrected it was it a couple of christmases ago she got a nice little caption uh which uh, she didn't get uh, on, on actually her posthumous uh, television appearance which was in the first couple of episodes of game of thrones so you know she was right and she has that big gap between Doctor Who uh, appearances as well, um, which uh, you know not 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 many people have such a size. Uh, Pauline Collins is in that ballpark as well. Um, uh, but anyway, um, let's uh, let's get on with it and um, choose my five favourite things. So my first favourite thing, well, it has to be the. Quatermass connection. It, it has to be, um, you know, the 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 fact that it, it it evokes all of that 1950s Quatermass stuff because because it's got uh, you know the, the the coronation which itself is echoed in the Quatermass experiment because it's set at Alexandra Palace which is where the Quatermass experiment was broadcast from because it's got Maureen Lipman the Wire who I know she's a bit like a sort of children's presenter but she is also very reminiscent of those continuity announcers who used to you know sit in a chair at Alexandra Palace and talk you know look at you through the cameras in their in their evening wear um, and using their plummy voices um, and you know the, the the scrunching of the hands um, and as I say there are a couple of other I think un unconscious uh, Quatermass uh, Quatermass connections including Christopher Driscoll but um, uh, you know it's, it's obviously um, you know Mark Gatiss uh, have, have, having you know some fun with his I know his love for Quatermass in fact I think the first time I heard of Mark Gatiss no I knew because I knew there was this guy who was a who was a comedian that was a big Quatermass big Quatermass guy um, and I knew that because when Nightshade came out I knew it would probably have Quatermass stuff because it was it was Mark Gatiss which you know if you've not read Nightshade and you like Quatermass you know it's a it's a huge homage to to, to Quatermass it was the first uh, New Adventures book that I read of course it was uh, 
But um, Isabel Dean, who was the lead in the Crater Mouse experiment, the female lead, uh, and I corresponded for, for many years. And uh, she wrote to me once and said, I've been contacted by these two young men, uh, Mark Gatiss and David Miller. And they live at, you know, you should write to them. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they seem lovely boys, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and of course I didn't because I'm shy and pathetic. And uh, maybe I could have made friends with Mark Gatiss all those years ago. Uh, and my life would be very different now. But uh, in fact, I was talking to him uh, not that long ago. He's a very, very lovely man. Um, very gentle, gentle soul, isn't he? Uh, but but such a good writer, uh, such a good performer. Uh, and we're very lucky to have him in the Doctor Who, in the Doctor Who universe. So, um, yeah, the Quatermass connection. I guess, but that that bring you know, but I'm 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 bringing Ali Pally into that as well. Um, is my number one. My number two, uh, and this is just for me, <laughs> is uh, is Inspector Bishop's jokes about you know the, the running gag about portable television, color television. Uh, I just love it. It just makes me laugh every time, and I like Sam Cox. Uh, <laughs> so um, I th yeah, but I I like it. Inspector Bishop's joke. <laughs> Um, I th I think I've got to go for the feel. I think I think that you know expression. And I didn't talk about it a couple of times when I was. I think I was reminiscing about living in Crouchhead when the Doctor goes to find the the faceless creatures. And there's a couple of wide long shots. Where, you know where where there's light pouring through grills and you know, you know slightly silhouetting people and the the the, the lighting and that and that those expressionistic. Sort of the German expressionistic camera angles that you know the very first shot is you know is 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 a tilt it's a slight it's a slight giddying of normality um and and the way that there's just something as simple as people on a landing is shot uh, is is given a slightly sort of sickening unnerving uh, you know sort of fluctuation of geometry that I think is is really interesting and that's that's the director Eros Lin who was actually a couple of years above me at university I discovered some years later somebody else I should have made friends with my my life is a series of people people I should have made friends with I should have had <laughs> back in the day uh but he, you know, he does something really interesting, I think, with with the look and the feel of the story that when Doctor, because Doctor does have quite a sort of uniform house style in, in these days, more so than, than it does, I think, in the olden days, because, you know, in the olden days, you know, you, you know, you know, a director came in and chose the incidental musician, and and, and you know, the different costume designers each time, and just the way that the BBC sort of rotor system worked, which means that you can have, you know, the caves of Androzani followed by the twin dilemma, which are sort of almost different in in so so many respects. I I don't think you get, even though there's a lot of variety in 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 modern Who and in Russell T Davis era Who, there's still I think a sort of house style, so that even the the, the comedic elements and the hard dark dark episodes and the and the sort of slightly more comedic and offbeat episodes are still sort of slightly more uniform than I would say than 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 the 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 original series, and and that's not a I, I'm not arguing that one is better than the other. I, that's just an observation. But even within that, even allowing for that premise that I've set myself, I think Aeroslin does give this a, you know, a, a colour palette and a feel. And, and that is particularly that camera work, I think, that that really fits the material. Um, even though I don't know why what I've decided to call German expressionistic camera angles fit something set in Britain in the 1950s. But it just does for me. Um number four 
is it the same is it the same to go ch- choosing the the coronation i think I, I think having that as the the sort of fulcrum for the story choosing an historical event that brings with it um you know the the, the, the you know the thematic thing. You know the, the the you know it's it's got it's got echoes of empire and uh, you know and again we get quite cosy with the nostalgia of that. And Gatiss is there going, yeah, but empire was built on men like Eddie, who are you know prob- problematic, but but um, but undoubtedly probably in his own you know in his own sphere and, and and doing things that you know people like me have never had to even face doing lives. Probably very you know brave and tough. Uh, but that you know that comes at a price later on, uh, and 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 that our nostalgia comes at a price, and that our you know the the very iconography that we rely on for our identity comes at a price, and I think that's that's uh, uh, that, that that you know that that's you know very much you know a a, a subject a, a focus of what you know what's happening to us now as we have our. You know, the next coronation we're going to have will be next year, which is, you know, 70 years um, after the coronation we just we just watched. Um, and. Uh, and. Uh, um, and, Qu- and the Quatermass experiment is is 70 years old on July the 18th, 1953, which was also my wedding anniversary was July the 18th. And I didn't know that. I, I didn't decide, I didn't choose the date. It was when the venue was available. And I actually only realised afterwards because I don't, you know, I don't have a Quatermass party every July the 18th. Like I kind of have a Doctor Who thing every year. Uh, so, so anyway, so I didn't choose the fact that I got married on the day that the Quatermass, exper- Quatermass experiment started. Um, but you know this the same time that we'll be you know celebrating um 70 years of of Quatermass is is also the same time that there will be another and in fact the very next coronation after the one that took place just before Quatermass so i think that's really interesting but it it it, it also you know it also th- you know throws up all sorts of things about imagery and 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 national identity and all that sort of things that are, that are complicated and worth having conversations about and worth having nuanced conversations about. And I think in, in invoking all that stuff that, that Gatiss does so well, um, but but then throwing in little sort of ripples of questions of that, you know, the apparently sort of domestic, you know, ideal setup of the nuclear family has has darkness and has secrets and i i like the fact that 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 that, yeah that it has that sort of sneaky you know that paranoia that comes in of people reporting people and all of that um which is you know which is quite dark um but i think that's all stuff that is 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 worth talking about and that all that all that you know that that they're, they're all ripples from the coronation which is a historical event that was sort of nation forming and that was that, that sort of brought the nation together as 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 you know as even if just as you know as people all watching the same thing happening at the same time um uh, and to use that as the basis and the inspiration to then tell a science fiction story i think is it, it, you know is a really smart use of the doctor who format so you know yeah the coronation i don't think that's quite the same as my point one well it's not because that's you know that's more although there is crossover because the coronation um you know is, is part of the quatermass venn diagram it, it also i think works works has you know has a separate use within the within the story and the fifth thing 
Ah, it's interesting. Uh, The fifth thing. um, I think, and it's weird, I'm going to go for personal taste. And I I think I I may be in danger now of taking National Treasure Maureen Nipman a little bit for granted because she's great. Uh, and and it's a great idea for a villain, um, but you know she's a face on a screen. Whereas I think, you know, what 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 sort of keeps us going with that side of the drama is I think a very human and and in places rather touching uh, and and occasionally slightly wretched performance from Ron Cook, who I think is a wonderful actor and and Doctor Who does very well with its guest stars and its household names and and uh, 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 and but i think you know i don't think and i'm not criticizing ron cook here but i and he played richard the third in the bbc shakespeare's i mean he's a highly regarded actor within the profession but i don't think he's a he's a household name and i think doctor who gives wonderful opportunities for us to see actors um of that caliber you know general you know a grade uh you know national theater um rsc um but also you know lots of great british television actors oh and he's parker isn't he in the thunderbirds movie as well but that's another story um but but you know ron cook is a is a is a terrific actor and i always just love seeing really good actors turning up in doc two getting given a good part and doing brilliant things with it and i think mr magpie with his sort of stubble and his debts and his uh, and, and his sort of crumpled dignity is, uh, is 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 you know gives a human side and vulnerability to the villainous side of the story and i just think he's a lovely actor and i like watching good actors being good um and I think Doctor Who's always always been good for that. So I suspect I'm going to suffer on points because I think it's it's an obvious choice. And I'm not saying that Gemma is a person who will be prone to making obvious choices. But I think, you know, it's a no-brainer to choose Maureen Lippmann. And I just realised that I haven't. <laughs> but there we go. There we go. I've got to choose what I've got to choose. And I never win anyway. So let's see what Gemma Arrowsmith has chosen as her favourite things in The Idiot's Lantern. Okay, so the first thing, which you can probably guess, given my preamble, is all of the sort of delicious aspects of the history of broadcasting that are in this episode. I think the the art department have done a fantastic job. The sort of research department have done a great job on this episode. You've got the beautiful Batwing BBC logo on the television sets in, in Magpie's shop. I love that logo. It's so beautiful. And these gorgeous Bakelite TV sets, which they've they've sourced. So I love all of that. I love I love the denouement at Alexandra Palace. So the BBC first started broadcasting from Alexandra Palace in November 1936. That was their sort of first evening of television. They broadcast a variety show on the 2nd of November 1936 from Alexandra Palace. And it was quite interesting, actually, because there was this kind of war between two different television systems. There was the Baird Company, which was founded by John Logie Baird, the inventor of television, and the Baird Company and their mechanical television system, and then Marconi EMI and their electronic television system. And It was a war in that on that first night, they first broadcast this variety show from Alexandra Palace, first in mechanical television, using mechanical television, and then in a higher definition, has to be said, using Marconi EMI's uh, Emitron cameras. 
after a few weeks of this back and forth between mechanical television and electronic television, it was electronic television that won. And that is the television we came to know and love. So that's the first aspect that I'm choosing the historical content in The Idiot's Lantern of the history of broadcasting and the wonderful job that the art department have done in bringing that to life. Oh, hang on. Happy Times and Places just got well, Rethian. Um, uh, this is brilliant. I, I love Gemma Arrowsmith. Never met uh, Gemma. Um, as I say, I've, I've, I've heard her stuff and know her work. Um, and uh, yes, I must I must mention... Um, Gemma Arrowsmith's Sketched Out, which is a brilliant, um, you know, radio comedy that has all the great elements of, of you know, high-end high radio for sketch comedy, you know, brilliant verbal uh, vocal performances. But, you know, it's not without barb and bite. Uh, there's some great spoof adverts that get to the core of, you know, a, lo a lot of things going on today. But it's also, you know, uh, uh, funny and daft and has the great, this great central wheeze of uh, Gemma is not allowed to be uh, the host of her own show and so there's a guest star uh, every week and so far there's been Patterson Joseph off of Bad Wolf Parting of the Ways and Joanna Lumley off of Comic Relief Doctor Who um, and um, uh, so you know she's attracting A-listers a and it's a it's a nice conceit that and it's a great show and and because that is on at the moment uh, this is why this this episode has been parachuted into the schedules so go and avail yourself of every thursday Gemma arrowsmith's sketched out and it's also uh, on iplayer 2 uh, oh and um the, the sort of supporting voices that are that i think are in every, every, every week uh, there's is, it's also hood to the gills because it's a uh, dan starkey strax himself but i've done big finishes with dan he is uh a uh, uh, a a vocal maestro he's is is one of the best voice actors i've ever worked with uh he's a really skilled um uh voice voice man um you know who's good at impersonations but also good at creating character through voice uh and uh is yeah terrific uh and uh thomas nelstrop who is the guy in blink who eats the apple in hall you know when uh when sunny sparrow's mate uh miss nightingale um gets gets sent back in time uh, and he goes you're in hall uh that's thomas nelstrop he's a he's a comic as well uh, i met him in edinburgh once and i think i just probably said we we did i think we did a gig together and uh and, and i said as, as i had to you know you're you're a doctor who um i think pretty much left it at that uh, but he was very nice um handsome too um but yes he's he's so they're yeah they're both in the they're both in the uh sketched out as well so there's lots of who connections can i have a point for that i don't know because i didn't i loved that stuff about the history of television that Gemma did for us then and the emitron cameras are the cameras that uh, the quatermass experiment was filmed on and they were big huge bulky things uh which you know you had to change lens by moving them around if they, if they even had lenses on you certainly didn't have zoom but but i know that the uh that the image was upside down so the the the, the camera the cameraman was camera person but it was it was a man uh in those days that the the, the, the the cameraman had a, had an upside down image uh and you know they clunk about and great big cables that actors had to sort of jump over to change but yeah those emitron cameras that, that Gemma mentioned in that very illuminating lesson uh, were the ones used in Quatermass. So there's lots of what she said that tied in with my 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 first choice. 
Um, but I didn't talk about the art department who do do a fantastic job. I think the set dressing on the episode is it excellent. All those, is it Bakelite, the, the material? But anyway, all that sort of formica and, uh, and uh, well, I, and I just think the look and the muted colours. Um, but yeah, that those, those banks of televisions, uh, you know, is, is a, a really, and the flickering light that comes from them, the, the image of the faces, that's not the art department. That's, but that's another thing I didn't really talk about, which is a great, great image, those black and white faces flickering on the television. And, you know, black and white flickering television is spooky, but when it's faces of people that you know silently mouthing off a screen, that's that's really, really spooky. And I didn't talk about that enough. But anyway, um, I do I get, I'm, I might get half a point for that. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a photo finish, but um, yeah, I think, yeah, I th I think our points were related, but I don't think, I, I I don't think they were I don't think they were related enough to live under the same roof. They're related enough that they they shouldn't be allowed to have sex with each other, but that they're, they're not not so related that they that they live under the same roof. After that that metaphor got away with me, um, but yeah there's a there's a there's a connection but um uh, not uh not not a shared dwelling um so maybe yeah my 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 choice just gets to come and visit at christmas or something but definitely not anyway let's leave that metaphor there so i, I don't know where we stand let's have choice number two Okay, the second aspect I'm choosing is Maureen Lippmann's performance as The Wire. I think she's a fantastic choice for the villain in this episode. Uh, she's known for performing a one-woman woman show as Joyce Grenfell. And Joyce Grenfell has that wonderful, uh, very, very English clipped pronunciation she at the time Joyce Granville uh, was doing the St Trinian's films in the 50s so she is exactly the right sort of era that right sort of British clipped sound and I think Maureen Lippmann just does it so so well she's clearly drawing on a few different people Joyce Grenville being one of them um, but also the hosts of Watch With Mother which was an early kids program on the BBC it started as Listen With Mother on the radio and then became Watch With Mother as TV started and she even uses some of their phrases. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And good night, children, everywhere. These are wonderful things that Mark Gatiss has pulled from, again, the, the real history of broadcasting. I also think she's probably drawn from an early TV presenter called Jasmine Bly, who was a descendant of Captain Bly, interestingly. And she was well known on the BBC. The BBC television service shut down during the war and it just ran a radio service. And then when it came back after the war, Jasmine Bly was one of the first presenters. And she said, good afternoon, everybody. How are you? Do you remember me? Jasmine Bly. And then they ran a Disney cartoon, which was the last cartoon to be shown on the BBC before it shut down uh, for the war. So that book ended the war. And I think Jasmine Bly is an iconic look and sound. If you look her up, they've definitely drawn on her for, for uh, Maureen Lippmann's look as the wire in this. Um, so, yeah, I think she does a brilliant job. Um, she's super scary. It's a great performance. I love that, that kind of a very clipped a uh, British woman being a terrifying alien. It's just lovely. I think she does it great. Yeah, I see. I knew. I knew. I think I knew as soon as I was doing it. But I had to go with my heart, and my heart was with Ron Cook. But I, I think. But I do that. I, I always. I think, you know, I, I, I always 
try and pick the thing that's slightly under the radar because I think maybe that's how I it's all narcissism that's maybe how I see myself yeah it's, you know the, 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 everybody notices the stars what about the people in the shadows um, but you know Maureen Lippman is of course a great great choice um, and yes I, I think Gemma articulated that brilliantly about you know what a great idea for a Doctor Who villain a very clipped mom you know school mommy continued black and white continuity announcer is this horrible you know ravenous alien parasite that's such a great doctor who idea and i love the lesson about um jasmine bly my goodness it reminds me of when um when the the pandemic was over you know we'd had 18 months of not doing my comedy club we'd we'd, we'd gone online but you know we were missing the live performance that's you know and uh and it was so nice that the first one back, the you know, the room was full. Everybody had come out and wanted to be entertained. It felt quite a lot of pressure uh, because, uh, you know, it was the first time, you know, you'd sort of seen other people, really. Um, and, uh, and I went on and, and I thought, what can I say? What can I? And I just went on and I went... Um, as far as I was saying, and thank and it just it just burst the bubble and and got a lovely lovely laugh and we were off and I was so because it could I could have gone anyway that because it's not it's not funny is it but it was it was it was right and it worked and and it was yeah and uh, I'm I'm not drawing parallels with Jasmine Bly uh, broadcasting to the nation after uh, <laughs> six years of war but um, in my own little fiefdom it was it was a parallel. Um, yeah, of course, Maureen Lippmann was going to be a choice. Maureen Lippmann would have been everybody's choice, um, but I'm an idiot, uh, which is which is which is which is why I spend all my time in front of the lantern. Okay, the third thing I'm choosing is Uros Lin's direction. There's a scene early on in this in the home of the Connolly family with all sorts of Dutch angles. Everything's sort of peculiar angles, and everything seems normal but slightly off at the same time and I think this is there are two villains in this episode right there's the wire but there's also the father at home a very a, a sort of an extraterrestrial villain and then a very very terrestrial villain the kind of home tyrant who lords his power and the threat of violence over his wife and his son and I think it's almost more scary that the home is almost more frightening than the alien threat in this this um, this father who will always show his wife and his son and his mother-in-law the, the back of his hand you know uh, I think Uros Lin does a wonderful job of making the home, this very ordinary setting, feel very, very unsettling with these brilliant angles, these sort of uh, fisheye shots. I just, I think it's a, a fantastic job that he's done. Um, I And I love that. It's an aspect of Doctor Who that I love. It's an aspect of kind of folk horror that I love, which is the ordinary seeming unsettling in some way. And that's often down to a really good director. And I think we have that in this episode. Oh, well, we, I do get a point there, although um, Gemma says it's Dutch angles and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be schooled by Gemma. Um, uh, and yes, and that's that's, you know, that's John Pert with Yeti and the Lou in Tooting Beck, isn't it? Doctor Who is at its best when it takes the ordinary and just tweaks it a little to make it terrifying. And, and we have great traditions uh of that in all of our uh, you know horror um 
you know and, and all of our fairy tales even and there is something about you know the creakiness of that house uh and and the very basic ingredients you know it's 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 people and noise and shadow and darkness uh a, a lot of the time in 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 that home and yes the feel of the whole episode with those camera angles and that and that brilliant that brilliant lighting uh so i get yes good i get a point for that uh, the it's she she talks i like her description of eddie as what was it a home tyrant and i read something recently where th- there was a question somebody questioned the ending going you know this guy's awful you know he's a he's a he's a bad man he's a wife beater he's a homophobe and and and, and questioned the idea that the son should go after him but i think that's i think that's absolutely key to the episode because I think all too often there's an appetite amongst the most liberal commentators it seems to me today um, and by commentators I sometimes mean Twitterers but I spend too much time on social media um, but there does seem to be an ap- appetite to censure people or to berate people or to scold people um, and I I, th- I think the lesson that this says and remember it's written it's written by a gay man um, is saying yes, this man is a monster in, in all sorts of different ways. But the way, to, what makes us better than the monsters, is that we have compassion and we forgive. And if if the boy is to make any headway with his father, and it's surely more important in his life that he has a a, a decent or, or or at least some sort of negotiated relationship with his father is is if he tries to find some common ground and maybe his dad you know who is who is the product of his time and his experiences will over time learn and and grow and become better and you only you only do that you you can't you can't scold people into understanding your point of view we we get people get defensive uh, and also it's that's not an instinct that I like that doesn't that means you are not a, a, a victim or an oppressed person you're just a tyrant in waiting if 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 as soon as you're um you know as as, as soon as you are you emerge from the shadows that you absolutely shouldn't have been put in you then start you know reveling in meeting out punishment to those who you think deserve it or are wrong well you're just the, you're just the same no you know everybody everybody who does bad things justifies that the bad things that they do because they think the 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 recipients of uh, the bad things d- deserve it um so i th- i think it's absolutely right that no matter that, that Eddie Monster, though he is, is shown compassion by his son because it means that his son and his son's values, um, you know, prove themselves to be to, to be the right one by action, not just by, you know, not just by say so. Um, anyway, that, that's that's yeah, it's only because Gemma so um, eruditely described Eddie's position in the drama there that I thought of that next. Okay, the fourth thing I'm choosing, dead simple, it's Rose and the Doctor's look in this. <laughs> I, I think it's an iconic look. I feel like the image of them on the scooter with the pink dress and the helmets, uh, I think it gets 
posted a lot when referring when articles are referring to Doctor Who and I think it is because it's such a great iconic look they think they're heading to the late 50s uh, to see Elvis but they're not they end up in 1953 so it's it's slightly wrong <laughs> it's slightly out of time but I love that about it <laughs> and the size of David Tennant's quiff in this kudos to the hair and makeup department there are some scenes in this where you just go my goodness the amount of lift, the amount of product in that hair is incredible. I just think it looks fantastic. I also think it helps when there's the reveal that Rose has had her face taken and she's got the sort of blanket over her. We can see this iconic pink dress sticking out the bottom, so we immediately know it's her. I think it's just great. They look fantastic. And that's my fourth choice. Ah, <laughs> good choice. And yeah, I mean, David Tennant, David Tennant can't half wear a big hairdo. <laughs> Uh, my goodness, um, you'd, you'd struggle to make you'd struggle to make any sort of quiff out of what I've got on top. Um, yeah, they, again, I think I, I I run the risk of a bit like I did with Maureen Nipman of t- of taking you know these two stars for granted. Well, it'd just be a bit boring if I chose David Tennant and Billy Piper every time, but they are you know they are such a key to the success of the show at this period. Uh, and um, as I say, I do have sympathy with with some commentators who who find them a little bit insufferable but um i i i i don't know i just think they're they're such good fun and you need doctor because you know the death of doctor who is when it takes itself too seriously and gets too po face now that doesn't mean you know i i, I don't believe that doctor who is good it, you know a lot, a lot of people say oh doctor who is good because it was so bad and it knew it no doctor who is always you know needed to play itself seriously not tip a wink to the audience and 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 be sort of self-flagellating for 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 those members of the audience that they think they're above things that you know are slightly out of the ordinary i think it's it's powered on a on a sense of humor and it's sense and particularly i think that the rtd era what, what it really understands is is that it needs pep and verve to to keep it going and to keep it driven um so so that you sort of take the ridiculousness that is at the very heart of Doctor Who's format sort of in its stride uh and when you've got when you've got good leading actors uh d- doing that um they sort of do it invisibly um and you know even though Billy Piper sort of disappears kind of halfway through doesn't she I think I think it was an episode where she had she had a bit of time off wasn't it and that's why and she's 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 not in it but again, that's that's a clever, very sort of judicious use of your resources, where they where they um, you know manage to give, give an actor a bit of time off, but you know feed them into the episode just enough that it doesn't feel like they're not there. Except for obviously, then you have the Doctor Light episodes, but then they make a, a huge virtue of those by going in a completely different direction. I love all of that stuff about how the resources are marshaled in different ways, and and you know two of the key resources this period of the show. Uh, are the Doctor and Rose and yeah and I like the fact I always like it when they uh, you know they have a slightly different costume anyway I understand the need for the Doctor to have a uniform look um, but you know I'm I'm not a great fan of you know when JNT came in and, and gave everybody the same clothes every week because it just it just doesn't sell as realistic it sells as 
you know their costumes rather than clothes and um i think i probably could have done with with david tennant mixing up his look a little bit little bit more than he did so i i like it when he whacks on the glasses and does something with his hair so yes good choice but i didn't choose it um but you know i i i feel i mean i feel i've also as well as taking david tennant for granted i've also kind of taken mark gatiss for granted because it's sort of like you know well it's got Quatermass and it's you know it's evocative of a time period that he writes and apes particularly well and well he's just you know he's always been around hasn't he Mark Gatiss he wrote New Adventures he 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 uh he was involved in the early days of Big Finish so so we kind of yeah but I mean he's one of the he's one of the leading sort of television and cultural forces that we have you know co-creator and writer of Sherlock he's acted in 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 you know some of our premier productions he's one of the league of gentlemen which is just a fascinating and and brilliant and um you know a, a unique collision of 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 performers who all have this sort of darkly comic sensibility that's produced has been so fruitful and bounteous of of work that is absolutely up my street um and yet you know is also of, of mainstream appeal um but but it's almost because, well, yeah, but he's a Doctor Who fan, isn't he? And 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 I think I I think you know sometimes we're guilty of t- taking for granted the resources that have been made available by the very fertile breeding ground that Doctor Who is, you know, on the sofas of the land uh, when these little seeds are sitting on the sofa and, and Doctor Who sprays out its creative fertilizer and. Uh, from those from those tiny sofa sofa acorns grow you know great trees of creativity and Mark Gatiss is an oak uh, and uh, you know casts a, casts a, a you know um, I was going to say casts a shadow but that's wrong well no because he writes quite dark shadowy stuff uh, over a lot of our cultural landscape and and uh, and is it's really good um, and so yeah having not really spoken about him much because I think, you know, as I say, in my head, it's good. Yeah, it's Mark Gatiss, isn't it? It it, serve, it, it behoves us to remind ourselves sometimes um, that some of our key ingredients are, you know, very skilled people at the top of their game who, you know, who are doing amazing stuff, even if you sucked every trace of Doctor Who out of their CVs. <clears throat> Final choice. She's not going to choose wrong cook, is she? Yeah, she might choose Inspector Bishop's joke. The last thing I'm choosing, can I just choose Mark Gates's oh. fantastic writing? I love Mark Gates's. I've been a huge fan since uh, the League of Gentlemen's radio show on the town with the League of Gentlemen before they went to television. So I'm a huge fan of the League of Gentlemen, all four of them. I think... They just, I feel like their involvement in a project is a badge of quality. I think they've never rested on their laurels. They always push themselves and are incredibly innovative in everything they do. So I'm always really excited when I see that Mark Gatiss has written an episode. I think he's done a fantastic job here. Um, I think the face stealing alien is is great. It sort of harkens back to, I mean, a missing face is a terrifying concept, isn't it? And it harkens back to uh, Sapphire and Steel in Assignment 4. There is a man without a face and there's a, a horrifying sequence in that with sort of looping, terrifying audio. I mean, I 
I would recommend uh, your listeners have a watch of of that if they haven't already and see the the sort of link between that, <laughs> which is terrifying, and and this. It's although that is the alien itself has no face. This is steals your face. So there's a big difference, but it's equally horrifying. I also love again. It's the there are elements of the history of broadcasting here. There were ridiculous conspiracies about the harmful radio waves and television waves that enter your home just as there are now with with 5G um so there were these these rumors that, oh you know it 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 ha- it will have a horrible effect on you and so i really like kind of bringing that to life as a as a real alien threat if you watch tv it will steal your face and you know we've probably all been told by parents that if you watch too much tv it'll turn your eyes square so there's there's elements of that the fear that comes with every new bit of technology and suddenly you've got this this technology that brings the outside into your home it brings stars into your home and that's the amazing thing about radio and television you didn't have to go out to see the big stars of the day you didn't have to go to the music hall or the theater they came to you these concerts would be happening live in your living room. How fantastic. And then the move from from radio to television, even more so, even more immediate. You can see the stars of their day in your home, in the in the corner of your living room. I just think I think if you've grown up with television, you probably can't appreciate how incredible that would have been. Mark Gatiss is amongst those really great writers of Doctor Who who can make a villain complex. Uh, they're not just pure evil. And here I'm talking about Mr. Connolly rather than The Wire. Mr. Connolly is clearly a villain in the majority of this. And then at the end, you find out that his wife owns the home and she very bravely kicks out this little tyrant from her house. And you see him walking away as everyone's having a street party outside. This is what I love, is that there is the concept of redemption and the Doctor and Rose talk to uh, the son, Tommy, and say, Rose says, go, go to him. And even though he doesn't deserve it, the father doesn't deserve it, Tommy goes to him and offers to take his suitcase, offers to carry his suitcase for him. There's so much that I love about that moment. This is a, a man who rules over the people in his household with a rod of iron. He He's horrible. He doesn't deserve that moment of kindness at the end but the doctor and rose and rose in particular uh, encourages tommy to be the bigger person and i think that that idea that people can be redeemed people can do horrible things but they're maybe the product of their own upbringing and their own circumstances and actually maybe if you reach out to them with a little bit of kindness, they could be redeemed. I just think it's really interesting and complex. And it, it, it's, it's a more interesting choice that Mark Gatiss has written in, in that ending. So yeah, I hugely respect Mark Gatiss and I think he's, he's a wonderful writer. And this is proof of that, that moment. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I just banged on uh, about Mark Gatiss, but not because he was one of my choices, but because he wasn't. And then that led into him being Gemma's final choice. <laughs> Typical. Um, but I think she's absolutely bang on about that moment of re- redemption at the end, the 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 choosing to, in you know, in your moment of triumph over the, the bad guy to, you know, show 
mercy, to show kindness, to, to demonstrate to him the power of of what he what he's never chosen to deploy i i was going to say the weapons he doesn't use but um kindness shouldn't be a a, a weapon um but the you know that, that that's not something he's ever afforded probably even himself uh and yeah it it ill behoves us to to dance on the graves of those we have defeated even if we've defeated them in in a in a in a supposedly liberal cause so i uh, you know i agree with Gemma. i think she articulated that brilliantly and and once again i i have to say and i'd i'd not particularly remembered it as a moment but it really struck me watching it this time that final moment between those men and that lovely choice that as i say I, J jamie foreman didn't give the performance i quite expected and I, I occasionally it slightly sets my teeth on edge and i don't quite know why but um i think that that choice uh uh where, where he you know just stands up a little bit straighter with that pathetic sort of case uh that his son takes from him is a is a really nuanced and, and beautiful moment um and that case i mean it reminds me of when i visited lenny main's daughters um and you know he came from australia with a case like that with everything that he had in it and again when i look around this house we've got we need to we're trying to get rid of stuff because we keep tripping over rubbish because neither of us ever throw anything away because we're both from houses that were inhabited by hoarders in my case because i lived in the countryside in the middle of nowhere so you never threw away even a short piece of string in case it might come in useful because the nearest piece of string was you know a half hour drive away so i, I you know I, but i've got a co-op over the road but i and, and and you look at this stuff and go the things that we think we need uh uh, uh you know in modern society um when people again from that that time who were all too keen i think to uh to occasionally you know sort of berate for their you know their views that don't chime with ours but um you know that that the, the past is 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 another country uh, in many ways and uh uh translating then to now is perhaps not as easy as we might think but anyway i've i've we've had i've had that discussion on this on this podcast before i thought Gemma articulated that well and and yes um uh, chose mark gatis which i'm very happy for her to do even though i didn't so i've completely lost even if i did get I don't think even half a point, but maybe a third of a point for the first choice that she made. And I got I got Eros Lynn. Um so I get what one and a third out of five. I I never win. I've won once, haven't I? Once in God knows how many episodes. So um I I, th I think it's I think it's too late to swing it in my favour now. But of course uh that th that happy times and places it's not about winning or losing. It's about the friends we make along the way. And Gemma Arrowsmith, I have never met. Uh, but how lovely that she uh, contributed to this. And I think so brilliantly. I mean, she called it Assignment 4. Do you know what I mean? She, I, I mean, I, I called it the one with the photographs, I think, of the sapphire and steel. She called it Assignment 4. This is somebody that knows what they're talking about and loves this stuff. And you know what? I couldn't be more delighted uh, because, as I say, I knew I knew Gemma was sympathetic to the cause, but uh, I, I didn't know 
I would be quite as educated as I have been and illuminated. My 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 lantern has been illuminated. Um, so how delightful. So let's hear the, the reason uh, or at least the impetus for her to take part in this uh, exercise of mine that benefits so much from its guests. And the latest is Gemma Arrowsmith. Those are my choices. I'm interested to learn how many of them you got right. And finally, I will I will plug my radio show. Gemma Arrowsmith's Sketched Out is my own sketch show, which is on Radio 4 on Thursdays at 6.30. Sapphire herself, Joanna Lumley, is a guest in one of the episodes. I still can't quite believe it. But if you go to BBC Sounds and you type in Gemma Arrowsmith's Sketched Out, you will find all of the episodes available there. I'd love for you to have a listen. It was an absolute ball making it, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. And of course, you can head to my website, GemmaArrowsmith.com, or search for me on Twitter, Gemma Arrowsmith, for regular updates. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I hope this episode went well for you. Oh, what a brilliant guest. I'm so delighted. Um, I'm very happy. And it's, as I say, Idiot's Lantern is not an episode I would sort of leap to watch, even though it's got all those ingredients that I love. I think because, as I say, there were so many big hitters at around that time. But it, it behoves us to remember that actually uh, even the less celebrated uh, episodes of, of this era are, are, are still um, full of the richest of seams. Um, and... And, and especially for me, I got very nostalgic there. And it's an episode that kind of uses nostalgia as a as a as a weapon, uh, which is very interesting. It reminds us that the 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 past may seem cozy because we escaped it, because we got out. We know we survived the past, um, which means I think we remember the bits that comfort us. You know, I'm a bit like that with childhood. I wasn't particularly happy as a as a as a child. Doctor Who largely got me me through those those difficulties and those feelings uh, of of you know of, of of fear. I was so so scared of everything as a kid, but not funny enough of Doctor Who, or or at least with Doctor Who, it was a containable scariness that inspired me and thrilled me, and you know made me lose myself in, in, in a place that took me away from that. And yet now I look at childhood as as somewhere that was safe and where you know if only i knew then what i knew now and and, and all of that uh, and i and i feel a comfort in things from that time um when, when i feel insecure about the present because you know nothing is certain everything's in flux and you know it's my nature to fret uh so it's a curious thing of the past and of course the idiot's lantern is 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 very much about about that about how we you know you know how we how we couch the way that we look at our our history and that perhaps it's a little bit more nuanced and there are and there are darker things beneath its surface that we we sometimes don't explore but uh anyway the past is past is gone the present is now and in the future i'm pretty sure uh, i will be watching a lot of it on the television so may that lantern continue to flicker for idiots like me and probably and uh, no offense a lovely lister like you um but but for now uh, it's time for the audio equivalent of the test card um thank good night children 
Good night, children, wherever you are. Well, thanks very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. I'm grateful to my guest, Gemma Arrowsmith, who you can find on Twitter at MMA Arrow. And I'm also grateful to the patrons who make this podcast possible. And they include Luke Cannington, Joanne Abbott, Stephen White, Sidney Wilson, Andrew Wilson, Andrew Willis, Michael Williams, Rich Wiggins, Adam Westwood, Gary Wales, Apollo C. Vermouth, Reynard Toombs, Sabrina Tirabassi, Nick Temple, Neil Tate, Stephen, Matt Sawyer, Jim Sangster, Mark Sandon, John Rivers, Dylan Reese, Scott Pride, Kevin Parker, Jonathan Potter, Keith Pirry, Melvin Pena, and Dave Owen. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to join that list of names, you can go to Patreon at uh, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where for £3 a month, you can listen to the Happy Times and Places podcasts about six months before they are released to everybody else. Uh, there are also bonus materials, there's interviews, there's Ask Me Anythings, there's all sorts of other different bits and bobs and bits of access. Uh, that are all available at the lowest tier, £3 a month. You get a 10% discount on that and all of the other tiers uh, if you sign up for a year in one go. And as I say, you also get uh, stuff early as well as uh, your own exclusive podcast called Far Too Much Information, which is the sister podcast to Too Much Information, which is probably the most popular of the ones that I do because of course it would be it's the one that's hardest and most time consuming a deep dive into the minutiae of an episode of Doctor Who and I'm going through in chronological order uh, currently out there uh, you've got to the end of the edge of destruction whereas patrons are getting halfway through well there are a couple of episodes into Marco Polo so uh, that's not quite so far ahead but it is still far ahead but for each story you get far too much information, which is extra arcana and little side issues and little biogs of people who are tangentially related. Uh, I mean, in the one for the Daleks, uh, I actually tracked down uh, the son of the guy from the post office who sent the BBC and Christopher Berry the first ever vocal tests that were done to see what the Daleks might sound like. So, you know, there's it's, it's stuff. It's Doctor Who stuff. It's Doctor Who stuff that... You, nobody else has been stupid enough to commit to tape uh but i have and that's far too much information and that's for patrons only but all of that stuff is the lowest tier um but it's a monthly commitment and if you can't do that you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash toby there that's just a way of essentially giving me a tip buying me a coffee i'm afraid uh, you don't get any of the uh, the bonus or the early stuff that's uh, just something from you to me and uh, i'm grateful to everybody that has done that and i'm grateful to to patrons but i know that times are tough uh, bills are soaring uh, mortgages are getting more fragile so the fact that as life throws whatever it's throwing at you you're listening to my nonsense maybe to just go well everything's going wrong but at least i'm not him uh, nonetheless i'm grateful that we have this connection whatever it is that uh, that you listen to me talking about doctor who and i'm grateful and if you do enjoy this and it gives you some small amount of pleasure 
please go to iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever, and give these five stars and perhaps a couple of lines of review just to let listeners know what they're in for, if you know, if you like it. If you don't like it, you shouldn't still be listening. Go do something better. As I record this, my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, has just celebrated its 25th birthday that's 25 years i've been emceeing a comedy club in manchester i'm very proud of it we charge as little as possible three pounds for members six pounds for non-members uh on the tuesday just gone we had jordan brooks uh you know edinburgh comedy award winner brilliant comedian there's no one quite like him and uh his gran was in battlefield and earthshock and his granddad directed the celestial toy maker but that's not why i booked him we also had uh will duggan helen bauer Tadiwa malungay and the mighty james acaster that was the lineup for three pounds plus six pounds it's every tuesday in manchester we also have a twitch channel twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey which showcases some of the talent that we put on during the pandemic when uh, nobody could get out we brought the comedy to them well aren't i lucky um i'm sincerely grateful to john John Deere and if you haven't checked out I mean if you've you know if you've been inspired by the Idiot's Lantern do check out the Bergcast podcast done by John uh, Deere and Howard D. Ingham uh, which is a great insight into the wonderful Quatermass serials about which I'm did I mention I'm writing a book (laughs) and if I say it often it's a bit like Candyman if I say it often enough perhaps it'll just appear Um, but I'm yeah I'm, I'm really proud of the work I've done on it so far and you know there's I spent a lot of my misspent youth um, writing to the actors from it which is why I have correspondence with Isabel Dean who was the female lead of the Quatermass experiment uh, and all sorts of other actors uh, including Richard Shaw and Cyril Shapps and uh, Bernard Spear uh, and Jack Kynan Bernard Wilkie the visual effects guys the designer Clifford Hatz uh, assistant designer on Quatermass 2 Daryl Blake who directed The Stones of Blood been to his house uh he's he's given me some great insight uh, and also i've interviewed people who, who worked with some of the long dead quatermass actors who were you know who were all gone by the time i was even thinking about writing the book but uh you know i, sp- I spoke to people who went on tour with john robinson i uh, spoke to the son of andre morel uh so you know i've got into quite a lot of de- probably too much detail which is why the book has taken me 30 years to write uh but i do love quatermass so and uh uh, and and I'm uh, astonished uh, and, and, and so pleased with the level of detail that Gemma put into her contribution there. And, um, you know, because I'm not a really I'm not I'm not a journalist or an investigator or even an historian. I'm a lovey with an iPhone. And uh, if I like something, I dive right into it. But I'm I'm not so good on wider context or, 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 or related stuff at all. Um, and I do so admire it when when people can. uh, uh you know, you know, illustrate their points or their observations with with related points and observations from outside the very the very tunnel vision. I mean, I'm I, I mean, I'm pretty good for a Doctor Who fan to be honest, because I know some Doctor Who fans who have real tunnel vision. So uh, I'm, I'm for for uh, uh, amongst the company I sometimes keep, I think I could be quite circumspect. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I still am pretty I am pretty one track minded, and I don't care. Um, <laughs> you, you know you just do what you do and you fling it out there and this is what I do 
and enough of you seem to be catching it to make me feel that it's not a complete waste of time and and it's helped not being a waste of time by having really good people being guests and I've never met Gemma um, and and I think she's terrific and uh, I'm very grateful that uh, I was able to get her on board and if you didn't know her work prior to this well I hope I've done a little bit of good in that direction as well in pointing pointing out to you somebody whose whose work you'll definitely enjoy um, so that that wasn't, a, you know, the, the post-credit stuff is usually a bit of a off-tangent waffle. That was a plug for a book, a eulogy about my guest, and perhaps something that will make up for that. Whenever I try and make an important point or a reasonable and nuanced point about, um, you know, prejudice is wrong, but we also shouldn't be prejudiced ourselves when we are attacking prejudice. Uh, uh, and, and I said it quite well there, but I usually take half an episode in which I stumble and try not to offend anybody and probably end up offending everybody uh, whilst just trying to make a point that we should all just try and be reasonable. Ha ha ha. Oh, this modern world. Uh, but there we go. Um, if, if television's the idiot's lantern, uh, what is social media? Uh, God, I, I think it's it's... Uh, it's the psychopath's smoke signal. <laughs> no, smoke signal's not a not a light, is it? It's the it's the psychopath's lighthouse. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm all in favour of the idiot's lantern if uh, if if it's being if it's being subsumed now by the psychopath's lighthouse. Uh, and on that note, um, I think I'm going to um, turn off the illumination. <laughs>